Hi, this is Alex Romanovich, and welcome to Global Edge Talk. Today is September 30th, 2022, and our wonderful guest is Helena Varelin, who is a global marketing executive and the co-founder of a very interesting company called Kelvik, a personal digital sommelier. Welcome, Helena. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure, especially with the fact that you have a very amazing and diverse background, which we will discuss, and your path, your journey from a corporate journey to uh, becoming a true entrepreneur, to becoming a true global entrepreneur. Uh, so we'll talk more about that and what um, moved you, possessed you to do something like this after a very interesting um, a very interesting career. Um, let's talk about your career. Um, you and I were just laughing and saying that uh, back in 2000, you were at Sony Music and I was at Bertelsmann at BMG yeah. Music. And we, and were we didn't know. And we did not even know. We were literally sitting across uh, Times Square or Manhattan. And, uh, but you also had a, an amazing, amazing um, experience. Prior to that, you were with Julio Iglesias, uh, as an international project leader, uh, you started in Europe. You have a European background. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you? Are you half? Um, you're half uh, Belgian and half something else, or, or tell us no, more no, no. about that. I'm fully Belgian, fully born Belgian. and bred, as they say. No, I um, I was born there, grew grew up there, and went to college there, and then Beautiful. moved to London. Beautiful. So. Love love Belgium. Love um, the country. Um, so I guess you must speak multiple languages too. I do. I speak five languages. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm obviously English, uh, French, Flemish. What else? Mm. Um, German, because we had to learn German because, yeah. you know, it's part of our country. We're, th- we're trilingual. Right, and then right. of course, um, and I loved Spanish. So I, uh, studied in Salamanca for a little bit to, uh, oh, beautiful. to learn the language. Yes. Beautiful. And I guess that uh, qualified you to work with Julio Iglesias, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so you had an amazing career. Then you continued with World Wrestling uh, Federation, World, World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, you and I met when you were at Audible, which is mm-hmm. a great, great uh, platform. I'm an avid user of that. Uh, you're also a board member in the Marketing Society. And you teach you you teach uh, global management and marketing at uh, BFMS in New York, and uh, then you were helping um, Sesame Workshop as well, uh, yes. which is incredible. So this is an entire. This is a very different from what you have been doing. And Kelvik is a is a story in itself. You were so passionate about telling me about the um, um, this new endeavor that you 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 have. And you had since uh, July 2019. Um, but before we get there, before we get to the um, all this corporate stuff, I want to talk about you. Uh, tell us about your background. Tell us about uh, how you came into marketing and communications. Uh, maybe something from your childhood, you know, and growing up in Europe, in the heart of Europe, you know, and so forth. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, sure. So yes, so I'm um, 
born and bred in Belgium, um, always had a great passion for languages and other cultures. And it was one of those things that, you know, I knew I was not necessarily going to stay in Belgium. I think that was a bit of a fact already very early on in life. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go to London and um, I rolled into the music industry by chance. I had two job interviews at that particular time. One was a French uh, English communications firm because I studied applied communications. Um, and then the other one was a receptionist job at this um, high, you know, in entertainment PR agency that had the Rolling Stones and Tina Turner and Janet Jackson. And for me at that point, I was never a huge music fan as such. Um, for me, it was like, I need a job. And they actually were the first ones to call me and say, we want you, we want you. I had an interview and about two hours later, I got a call saying, um, we want you to uh, to do this job. And so I, I ended up doing, um, being the receptionist and running the European PR um, for them about seven years into it. So worked with artists like Jean-Michel Jacques, Julio Iglesias was one of my artists as well. I worked with um, the Rolling Stones and Tina Turner. And um, at that point, Julio Iglesias needed help with his album and said, hey, why don't you come and help me in Miami to kind of set my, my legacy um, in order and, and really work with me on that kind of narrative and how to bring that one. And um, I said, Sure, why not? I've always wanted to go to the US. That was my ultimate goal, that I wanted to um, end up in, in, in New York specifically. And so I went to Miami. I did a um, double kind of role. I worked for Sony on setting up the album and I worked with Julio on setting up his legacy. And so that was my introduction to Sony Music properly. Um, and they absolutely loved what I did and said, well, you know, would you want to work in New York? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I want to work in New York. And so they hired me um, for the marketing department, uh, the international marketing department. And I ended up working for Sony for 12 years in their international marketing um, department, ending my career as a vice president of international marketing for both Epic and Columbia Records. Um, very instrumental in, in breaking Shakira at that label. And I think she'll be the first to attest to that um, if you ever would ask her that I was instrumental in kind of making sure that she was became that international artist that she is now um, and then I was you know I kind of felt like I'd done my time I had an amazing career in the music industry but I felt there was no more growth I felt like I had done what I needed to do um, had an you know fun traveling around the world meeting all these artists and um, and it was time to get on to the next and really delve deep into the marketing aspect of what I what what I wanted to do. So um, I did some consultancy work as I was trying to figure out what my next step was. And um, then WWE came knocking and I was not very knowledgeable about wrestling. It wasn't something I grew up with, but what I did enjoy and love about the company was they're incredibly marketing focused. They are their content and how they think about their audience and 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 how they want to um, super serve their audience was something that was for me incredibly fast, fascinating and interesting. And I, I they're a marketing machine to the max, and they're always thinking about what can we do next, right? They were one of the first ones to do a streaming network that was twenty four seven wrestling. I mean, at that point, that was something unheard of. That was before the big 
blow-ups of the Hulus and the Netflix. And um, so I absolutely loved my kind of three years there. It was incredibly interesting to to work for a company, again, that was so focused on their on their core audience and making sure that they, they did the right thing for them. Um, so after that, you know, a whole, a bit of a shift for me um, going to Audible because that was more of a global just business development role. So I, I was a very kind of marketing focus for that entire part of my career. And then this was a bit of a leap and I wasn't initially sure that that was right for me, but it was incredibly interesting. And it really taught me a whole different side of business, right? To really think through um, um, the development of how a business should um, grow and, and, and scale. And I think with Audible, really thinking through the business model that they had and was that the right way to do, um, to go, right? Should we should there be an all-you-can-eat model, for example, and really kind of thinking through that same with their content, you know, what should those deals look like, right? Should we rethink how we attract talent, audio, you know, narrators, uh, direct exclusive deals, all of those different things. So for me, that was an incredibly interesting experience in that um, there was still marketing aspect to certain to a portion of the job I was doing there. So it wasn't just the business development, but I did learn a lot of different things. Um, and then in the meanwhile, Kelvic, my brother and I um, are co-founders of this company, but my brother is definitely the brain behind it, had been starting to tinker. And it's been working for eight, nine years on this, on trying to solve this problem um, of serving temperature um, of wine. So, about eight, nine years ago, we sat down and we had a glass of wine and my brother was like, you know, it's great. It's a good wine, but there's something not right about it. So he spent a lot of time talking to sommeliers and wine experts and people that really knew this and said, you know, is there something about the fact that if you do serve your wine at the correct temperature, that there is an incredible difference in taste? And, you know, came to the conclusion that yes, if you talk to anyone who loves wine and is an expert on wine, will tell you that it changes the taste depending on the temperature of, uh, that you serve on. People spend a lot of time conserving their wine, you know, with the wine cellars and they spend a lot of money making sure that it's kept at the right temperature. But then as soon as they take it out of that cellar, the wine becomes flabby and you know it's a room temperature and the taste changes and that solution hasn't been made yet so my brother spent a lot of time with engineers figuring out a technological solution for that and um that is what Kelvic is and um probably about four years ago five years ago I started to get a little bit more involved we did an Indiegogo campaign and um during COVID and I think this is where COVID kind of is that wake-up call um, I decided, I said, you know what, I want to do this full time with you. I want to be that, you know, I want to be the person in New York, in the U.S. that develops the brand. Um, and I so believe in this project. Um, and so that's where I am right now. In the meanwhile, I do still work with um, Sesame to do some consulting um, to keep me on that marketing kind of, you know, track for a moment until we uh, until we are successful, because that's what we will be. So when this disruption takes place, does it you for you personally, does it heighten the entrepreneurial and risk driven kind of spirit or on the contrary, 
does it tell you, okay, you know what? I need to go to a safer place. You know, let me leverage my corporate experience and maybe land a job, you know, somewhere in the, in the, in the, um, large corporation with stability and so forth and so on. Um, or do you think that there is no such thing as stability anymore in the corporate world? You know, in other words, are you dry? Are you driven more towards risk? Or are you driven more towards stability when the disruption takes place? Well, so that's, that's a, for me, you're asking me this question at a time where I've had a very full career and I've been fortunate um, financially too, right? To build a little bit of a, a um, 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 what is it called? A, um, um, what a, cushion. a cushion, a cushion, a right? cushion. That's right. So I build a little bit of a cushion, although, I mean, Kelvik is completely self-funded. My brother and I are um, completely self-funded with one other partner. But I think that has given me a little bit more kind of, I can go into risk, right? I need to try this. I think I have lived a very corporate life for a very long time. And if I was younger, I might be a little bit more scared. If you would have asked me this question 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years even, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back to corporate life for a moment and I'll do this on the side and then hope that, you know, something is going to um, materialize from it. I think that's different now. Now I'm very much like, nope, I'm going all in. First of all, because I absolutely believe in this product. And I really do believe that there is an incredible market for this. It's a niche market, but there is a market for it. And I am, I'm not wavering from that. So I'm incredibly passionate about it. Um, and because of the fact that, yeah, there's a cushion there, there, I don't, you know, I don't need to worry too much about the next few years, um, knowing that we have a product coming out. So listen, my exit plan is, three, five years, Alex. So I'm, I'm bullish about this. So um, I'm, my risk is calculated, I think. And that's a great debate. That's a great debate that we have right now in the society, or I would say in the business of um, entrepreneurship, um, because we're seeing more and more of entrepreneurs who are more mature, who um, have a really amazing, great careers behind them. And they have, you know, let's face it, they have very little to lose versus a number of hungry, younger entrepreneurs, startups, let's call them, you know, entrepreneurs uh, globally that have everything to lose. So what makes a better entrepreneur? Somebody who has very little to lose with the cushion, let's say, but has a lot of knowledge, has a lot of experience, a lot of great connections, or somebody who is hungry, who is willing to make mistakes, who is willing to fail multiple times, but get to their goal, get to their you know, ultimate goal and uh, become more successful. What do you think? I think there's a marketplace for both. I think you need both because what you do get into those go-getters that are young and hungry and, you know, don't care if they fail, they might fail two, three, four times, it, you know, the stakes are little, is that their ideas are fresh and new. And I think this is what keeps the world, you know, 
growing, right? Especially in a business is, is these new bright ideas, things that people hadn't thought about. And that, you know, so I think there, you know, that is incredibly important. And, um, you know, those entrepreneurs do change the way we do business. I mean, you look at any of the kind of companies right now, the Airbnbs, the, the lifts, those are, those were all young go-getters, even, you know, they're go-getters that, that decided that they were going to go and try this and see if it would work. So you need that saying that entrepreneurs, more mature entrepreneurs, I should call myself, Alex, <laughs> the more mature entrepreneur, they do have a, a much more kind of, I think, strategic way of thinking at it, right? And they know all of the different parts that you need to tap into in order to be successful. So it's a little bit more probably, bad word calculate, it's probably more strategic, I think. So there is a little less like, let me just run and try and get as much to stick as possible. And that's a, a strategy that works for quite a few, but that's not what we're doing, right? We're thinking about it more. We're a little bit more like, okay, what is the big picture here? How do we get from A to B and figure out the best way and the most, the smartest way? Um, and the, so there's, you know, the, I think there's a little bit more thought when you have been in senior management and you have run businesses other people's businesses. Um, I think you're a little bit more thoughtful um, and and you take your time, right? We're not in a rush either. You know, it's a, it's a project that's been eight to 10 years in the making. We did get stopped in our tracks during COVID because we did an Indiegogo campaign in 2018, which was very successful. And we had a lot of great input and, and people coming to us from a distribution point of view. But then COVID kind of Unfortunately, from a parts, because it's a very technological advanced product, we couldn't get the parts, we couldn't find the parts. So we were like, you know what, instead of panicking about it, we were like, okay, let's make this product even better. You know, we can't find the parts. We know it's going to take us a moment to, to, to get back into the kind of um, production portion of our business. So why don't we think through how we can make it better? whether it was our strategy, whether it was our connections, whether it was. So I think, you know, patience is probably another thing that we have more of than a younger entrepreneur, right? They're a little bit more like, I've got to get this done. And if it doesn't work, I'll move on to the next thing. So we, we, we take a little bit more time. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting parallel and analogy that you're obviously in the wine business and you're letting it mature like a good wine, right? Yes. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting about this is that, um, going back to the same, to the same point, investors are kind of driving the entrepreneurs on the specific time scale. For example, when investors typically look at a business that's eight to 10 years in the making or R&D, um, making sure that everything is working, if it's a tech, you know technology type of a play or something like that, when they hear eight to 10 years, they're like, why did it take you so long? How come it's not a year? You know, we, we're trying to compress, you know, we're trying to compress the, uh, the, the cycle here. And here you are taking eight to 10 years. Um, do you feel that um, businesses would have more success and startups would have more success if they took a little bit of uh, time to think, to plan, 
to uh, prepare better? Or uh, do you think that, you know, failure is an option and the sooner you fail, the sooner you succeed and all the other slogans that Silicon Valley investors are telling us about? Well, I think, listen, <laughs> I think um, history has told the story that if you rush certain things that, you know, it doesn't necessarily successful, right? I mean, you know, talking to talk and hoping, you know, that it's going to work afterwards is not necessarily a, 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 um, um, a menu for success. And I think that has proven over and over with startups in Silicon Valley where, you know, like, let's get this out, let's get this done. And, and it didn't work out. Others have been successful at it because the idea was solid, right? The It was pressure tested. It was, there was a specific marketplace for it. There was an audience for it. So I'm not, I'm not breaking it down completely, but I think it, some of the businesses, to your point, especially during that entire time where Silicon Valley was just throwing one, investors were throwing money one after the other to these startup companies and you know, so many would fail because it wasn't thought through because it was a great pitch and that's all it was, right? There's a big difference between a great pitch and then proving your concept. And I think for us, and especially I think for products like ours, you do need the time. And it's not just the R&D itself, it is also that kind of concept building, right? Is what we have a valid idea, right? Is it something that that was the first portion? And then, of course, there's so much data involved, right? And, and he, I'm going to give you a perfect example. So Vivino, our concept of what we're doing is similar in that we take a photo of the label of the app, of, of the label of the wine. It will recognize it. It will save it to your inventory. So you have an inventory of wine and it will tell you what wine the what temperature the wine should be served at, sends it via Bluetooth to the device and brings it to the perfect temperature. So obviously data is important, right? Recognition is important, right? Making sure that, that the label is recognized to perfection, that it realizes, okay, what kind of grape is this? Or if you don't have the grape, what kind of terroir is this? And of course, in quite a few cases, we do also remember, you know, we also recognize the domain, right? We don't always, because there's so many new domains, but we have 350,000 wines in our database. On top of that, we have um, food pairings that go with your wine. So you can say, I have this beautiful wine um, that I want to serve tonight. What should I make with it, right? So we adapt um, the food pairing to your particular wine that you've picked. So that's all data that needed to be, you know, put in there, make sure that it was perfect and, and, and recognizable. And then, of course, there is the actual product itself, right? Don't forget, we don't have ice. There is no water in it. It is all, it's an electronic device that via Peltier brings your bottle to the correct temperature. It measures it through the bottle. So we have, you know, there's an algorithm that accounts for the actual bottle of wine. So again, technology high end because air, cold air doesn't go up. So you need to make sure that with a Peltier that you can have it, you know, uh, cool the wine in its entirety, the bottle of wine in its entirety. So all of these things, it's not something you can just like, oh, let me throw this out and hope it works, right? It's, it's months and months of testing. And again, months and months of testing with a small team. We have a small, um, you know, we're using 
um, partners in Belgium and Holland, um, small companies, small startup companies that are incredibly technologically advanced, but small teams, right? So we're not having an incredible, you know, 100 R&D team that is behind us for the same reason that we're self-funded, right? Everything that we do, we pay for. So that's where the patience comes in. I mean, but we have this incredible product. So we do not want to have this investor to come to us and say, put it out, put it out, put it out. Because you're going to have a subpar product. And that's just, that's, that's a, a recipe for failure. So that's how we look at it. Very interesting. Uh, let's switch topics. Um, we've had some incredible advancements in DEI as of um, recent years. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of diversity. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of um, different ideas with different uh, groups of people. Um, and um, as a woman, um, as a woman in tech, in media, in marketing, I would love to ask you about what you think the development is and was if you go back to you being in the business, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and now being in the business uh, currently in today's environment, do you truly think that women have advanced in tech, in entrepreneurship, in corporate and other areas, or do you think it's, a, it's still a, um, a challenge? What are your thoughts? I think it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge because purely because we are women and, and, and I don't, you know, and I, so it's interesting because my entire career, I never let that um, stop me or bother me. I worked in very male oriented businesses, the music industry, WWE. It, I mean, they were all very heavily um, male focused, but I, I, I think I've never thought, for me, I never thought about it because I was very fortunate. I always thought that I was fortunate that I had these opportunities and it was up to me to um, advance those opportunities and make them work. So I, I never really thought about it any different. Um, saying that, I know here in the US, you know, I, I, I realize it's, you know, it, the struggles are much harder, right? I mean, you don't have those safety nets that you have as probably a woman in Europe. Um, and I think that's the reason why senior leadership in Europe is much more advanced for women. Um, there's many more because childcare and, and opportunities to, you know, be able to do both is easier there. It's much easier there. Here, it's not been thought about. Now they're starting to. I mean, I have to say, companies are getting better at it. But that's very, very recent. You know, the time when I had my child, and it's not that long ago, none of these safety nets were there. I had to figure it out. I got, you know, so you're, I took a little bit of a, not a break in my career, but I didn't push my advancement for the first two years of my son's life because I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to, I wasn't going to be able to put that time into work for, for a variety of reasons, right? And I do feel now, and I think COVID probably got that out of people, right? The fact that 
now everyone had to deal with it, right? Children were at home. It didn't matter who you were, whether you were a man or a woman. You had to deal with the fact that there were children at home. So I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for corporate America to say, okay, we need to do something about it. So we get um, we give everyone a, a shot at life. Saying that, a lot of women have left the um, the workforce during this time at COVID. And, you know, I think there is, I think those numbers are going to be quite shocking when we really get the final number, because at the end of the day, they were still the ones that had to look after the family unit and making sure things, you know, were running smoothly. And that's just a reality of, of the gender that we have. Unfortunately, we're the ones who bear the children. It's, I should say that differently. Fortunately, we're the one that bear the children, but that's the reality. Interesting. Um, our audience is a very diverse audience as well. We have uh, listeners um, coming from all over the world. Um, and it's not just marketing professionals. It's not just uh, entrepreneurs or startups. It's also, um, you know, corporate mavericks and members of the government and, and so forth. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs globally? And maybe it coincides with the what advice you would give yourself to Helena of five, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I mean, advice is I would I would just say keep moving. You know, sometimes don't overthink things. I think one of the things that I, if I look back at myself 10, 15 years ago, um, I would look at my failures forever and I would overanalyze them and I'd be like, why didn't I do that? And I would constantly go back and say, you know, I should have not done that. I should have, that I would tell everyone not to do that because What's done is done. Your past is your past. You've got to move forward. It's never going to be a straight path, by the way, ever. So if we're all dreaming that this is a beautiful straight road that we're going to take and, and nothing's going to hit us, then we're all, you know, we're living in fantasy land. So if you know that in advance, if you know that there's going to be, you know, turns and hills and things that you've got to cross that are not going to be very straightforward and easy, um, it'll give you that like comfort to say, okay, they'll, I'll come out the other end. And will there be a failure? Absolutely. Quite a few of them, but the successes are going to be make more than up for those failures. So don't look back, just keep going. And, and I think, you know, I'm a big believing in, in a, a Latin expression. I did Latin Greek in school, um, which is seize the day. It's a very simple one, but I really, truly now live by it. I always thought I lived by it like 15, 20 years ago, but I realized I wasn't always good at it. I would, I would go back in the past and say, what if I should have done that? I don't do that anymore. Now I'm like, every decision I have made in my life, I've made consciously. Was it the right decision? Maybe not always the right decision, but it was made consciously. And I think that is what you should strive for, right? You make that decision at that particular time, whether it's a gut, whether it's a strategic decision, stick by it. 
And if it's right or wrong, it doesn't really matter at that point. Just go with it and, 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 and live it. And I think you'll, uh, you'll see that life has probably more full glass than you would ever think. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot, a lot of great things to see if you just look at everything um, as it happens and not try and analyze it on something that happened in the past. But let me argue that sure. that experience that you've gained should prepare you better for any type of risk management or contingency planning or disaster planning in case, God forbid, we have other disasters taking place, right? So have you developed sort of a, maybe it's not a contingency plan, maybe it's not a disaster recovery or disaster management plan, but are there any safeguards that you've sort of mechanically developed or you're mechanically responding with that tell you, okay, listen, if there's COVID again or something disastrous like that, God forbid, you know, we don't want to think about nuclear war or anything else like that. But if, if there was something that was very disruptive, I would, I, I have a system, I have a, a, an approach, you know, and, and even if I cannot control it, at least I know how to cope with it. A good question. And, and I honestly um, don't think that that's something that I believe in. Like, I do not believe for me to plan something like that because then you're going to start like living it. I, I don't know. I, I really, truly, it's so hard because I think we've all realized predicting the future is just impossible. Who could have predicted that we would be on lockdown for months and months and months and that we wouldn't, that it just, can you think about having something similar happen of course if it happens again we all know we'll deal with things differently right because as a society we are now looking at this differently we will be prepared differently for pandemics because let's face it they're going to come again maybe not in our lifetime but they'll they'll come again that's just the nature of our history and life if you look at it same with wars right you know again it's been relatively quiet for all of us um specifically here and, you know, in, in, even in Europe, right? It's been quiet, but it, it could happen again and it can happen again. And we don't, I don't want to put any of that out. I, I do believe in putting things out there. So you can't prepare for that. I think that's where, you know, you could, you could prepare mentally to get yourself um, to deal with struck you know struggles and deal with hardship and you can try and say okay I can go back to these moments where I was dealing with really difficult things but you it's impossible to prepare for this kind of thing you you just don't know what's going to hit you um and if you prepare too much and then it happens and you actually react differently that could probably be negative that could probably become something where you then fall under and 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 don't recover so it's sometimes better to not be that prepared because then you your instinct might set in and your instinct might actually be smarter than your preparation sometimes. Um, and that is coming from probably a little bit more of a mature point of view, right? I've lived by, I've dealt with failures, I've dealt with successes, I've dealt with disappointments, I've, I've dealt with loss. You know, all of those things have been in my life before. And, and so I, I can draw from all of those to have an instinct 
in 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 a reaction to a, to something that happens. But anything major like a war, I I, I don't know how I would react to that. Um, and and I'm hoping I would make the right decision and 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 be smart about it. But preparing myself for that is not something I think I could do. So having have having had that experience, and you know really an incredible, interesting journey that was filled with positive and negative and so forth. What is your system to manage the motivation, right? How do you get motivated? How do you get excited about certain things? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a flip side of, um, Hey, you know, I've seen it all. Right. But how do you continue to get excited and motivated? Right. Especially in the, in the shoes of an entrepreneur, in the shoes of a startup. Um, well, motiv- I'm motivated by what we do because I do believe so strongly in Kelvik and our product and what we've put together. Um, I'm motivated by the fact that how great it is that I'm working together with my brother. I mean, who thought that at this point we're two worlds away, right? He's still in Belgium. I'm here in the U.S. And we found this partnership of, of working together. So I'm motivated by that. I'm motivated by, you know, our small team um, who have gotten to this point without any external investment. And listen, down the line, we will go for investors. But until now, we've proven this concept um, without that. Um, I'm motivated. I mean, I'm an everlasting optimist, Alex. I don't know. You know, I I do believe that um, the reason that I can get over things a little quicker is because I do believe that there's always something positive on the other side. I know I was talking about the half glass um, full and it's interesting. I um, I was listening to a Richard Branson um, interview the other day and I've always been the half glass full person. And he said, well, you know, I believe that your glass is nearly full at all times. And this was for me an eye opener that I'm like, yeah, that is actually my new way of thinking about it. It's nearly full. So that's the optimist that I am. So that motivates me. I'm, you know, I, from a team perspective, right, too, I love the fact that when I'm motivated, my team is motivated, right? When I'm positive and I smile, even if we, listen, the last two months, Alex, I cannot tell you how many times I had to get myself motivated because something went so was so difficult, right? A problem I had to solve and it was just not going the way we wanted it to go. But I had to be the one to say, we got this. We have to get, you know, because otherwise people, it rubs off, right? The negativity rubs off. And if I'm not motivated for my own company, my product, how am I going to get other people excited about it, right? How they're going to be motivated to have that same, um, vision and mission that I think we have for this product if if I can't you know so where do I find it I think you know I have this pool of of positive energy that I have that I sometimes have to look for Alex it's not always like woohoo life is great but I know it's there in me and I know that has carried me over so many times um in times where and and I I find it quicker now than I did 20 years ago because I know where it is and I know what, what triggers it and how I can get it out. I think those are great points. And the fact that you mentioned about being close with your family, with your brother, um, rediscovering, uh, what it's like to, 
to go back maybe to some childhood memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what COVID did, I think. And that's what some of these, some of these um, disruptions are making us do. You know, what COVID actually did was drove everybody from corporate world, from, from buildings in Manhattan and Boston and London and so forth to people's homes. But right. all of a sudden they woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm close to my family. I can now yes. speak with them on a regular basis. I can spend time with them. I am rediscovering my wife, my husband, my children, and so forth, my loved ones. And yes, there was a lot of negative. There was a lot of stressful, but there was also a lot of rediscovery and discovery, almost to the point where people don't want to go back to work anymore, right? <laughs> right. But they don't want to go to the building yes. and want to continue to work remotely. And that's a challenge in, in itself as well. Um What's next, Elena? What's next for you? Uh, obviously, we're all um, excited uh, for Kelvic. We're awaiting the the big launch. Um, I'm happy to uh, to order. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big wine. Um, uh, you know, I'm a big wine supporter. Um, I'm waiting for the product to come out and uh, be launched. But um, what's next? Do you think that that's going to be your? Obviously, once you launch it, there's going to be a lot of work involved. And mm-hmm. so forth. Um, is that what you? Is this your final project? Do you think, or uh, or do you do you think you're going to be doing something else beyond that? Well, that, so right now, the immediate future, future, as you said, is you know, Kelvic making Kelvic success. You know, being the best leader possible um, as the um, CEO for the for the. U.S. company and CMO for the global company. That's um, my first and foremost being, I'm hoping to inspire people uh, to be as vested in this company as I am. So that's kind of my immediate goal that I want to really build. Um, Is it my last project? I think it's, it might be my last for-profit venture because I do, you know, I do believe that this, 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 this will take me a few years down the line to build this, as you say, there's a lot of incredible growth and scalability with not only the product that we have, but very much with our app. You know, that's where our scalability. So that will be really interesting how we can grow that into a subscription model, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many more tentacles to what we do at our company's Kelvin, um, Kelvin, which means Kelvin, Kelvin temperature. So under that Kelvin umbrella with Kelvic and then a bunch of other. Um, so there is still all of that. Saying that, I do know that down the line, I will be, um, as I am right now with Sesame in a nonprofit capacity, probably find something that um, will make me feel like I have left something non-tangible in this world. You know, whether it is, supporting organizations like UNICEF or the or the UN refugee you know so that that would be for me something if I could put my 100% into that um, at one point in life that would be wonderful so so that's that's what I mean well maybe this this well this will be the end of the commercial portion of my life um, and then there's going to be so much more time to do the non-commercial and, and trying to uh, to figure that portion out. Well, Lena, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a true pleasure. 
we're very excited for Kelvik. We're awaiting the the launch, and we definitely want to stay with you. Um, you know, for the uh, um, the next phase of of that development, and would love to talk to you in the future. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful conversation, Alex.